Good morning. How's everybody doing? Again, happy Easter. Thank you for being here with us and uh, worshiping with us here at the Garden State Church. I want to thank our worship team. What a phenomenal job they've done today in leading us. Let's give our tech team a hand. And our usher team. And I know they can't hear us right now, but let's thank our children's ministry. Which, by the way, we are fully back having children's classes every Sunday moving forward here in the Northeast. Uh, so parents, yes, I see some extra hands up. So you put your kids there. Uh, you know, today we're going to have a, a lesson entitled Resurrected. And uh, didn't the skit team do an amazing job? That just kind of brought the Bible to life there. Um, reflecting on the events of Easter and, and what the Jesus' resurrection means for all of us. You know, today you may be visiting and you're here for the first time and I want to thank you for coming. Or you may be on Zoom for the first time. And I want to thank you for coming. I'm going to take a shot at trying to convince you that you should be a disciple of Jesus. Can we just put it out there? And you may be a disciple of Jesus. You may be a disciple for many years. I want to encourage you with what we're going to talk about today to take it a little deeper. And to really think about what the resurrection means and the implications it should have if you're a disciple of Jesus. You know... Um, I'm going to take that challenge. Have an opportunity to convince me or to help me. Well, if you were to do that, I just want you to know, first off, I would not try to convince you with the Bible and say, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And the reason I wouldn't do that is because there were thousands upon thousands of Christians before the Bible ever came to be. There were people who believed that Jesus resurrected from the dead before we had a Bible. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. The, Hebrew scriptures, which is considered the Old Testament, and then the New Testament. And that came about around 200 years after the resurrection. So I wouldn't do that. I would start with what we're talking about today, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, People believing, in, believing that Jesus rose from the dead, that happened that morning. And uh, from that time period on, thousands and thousands of people have believed that. Now, I want you to think about it. 
If you saw someone die, and then three days later, they're back with you at Dunkin' Donuts, having breakfast, or Chipotle, having lunch, or Olive Garden, having dinner, you would do what they did in the first century. You would go to social media and you start spreading the good news. And you start posting, right? Well, they didn't exactly post, they wrote things down. And this is what, this is what they did in the first century. They talked about it and then they wrote about it. And see, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of social media. See, we had Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus, who took the time and investigated and wrote out the events of Jesus's life and documented it well. Then we have Mark, who was a Greek, who did the same thing. And he was very close to those disciples and those people that saw Jesus resur resurrect from the dead. He got stories from them. And then we have Luke, who wrote down his account, who also wrote the book of Acts. And then you got John, who's responsible for the gospel of John, who also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And they would go and they would interview the people and get the story and put it all together. And then you got James. James. Now you got to think about this. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Do you know that James, while Jesus was living, was not a follower of Jesus? James becomes a disciple and a leader in the church after the resurrection because he saw his dead brother come back to life. And not only did he see him come back to life, he became a prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem. And then we have our dear brother, Paul. Paul, who's responsible for writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And Paul, through his writings, teaches us and shows us that he too believed that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, there's another guy that I'd introduce you to that, here we go, who you may have heard of and maybe you don't. I know we have some uh, historians here. Whoever remembers the Emperor Nero? You guys remember Nero? What was Nero known for? Two things everybody knows about him. Don't know what he believed, don't know what laws he passed, but we know two things about him. One is he burned down the city of Rome. <laughs> what was the second thing? I heard it. He blamed it on the Christians. He said they did it. <laughs> now, this is what was very interesting about that. Persecution then broke out 
and it was blamed on the Christians. This was 30 years after the resurrection. And so if I was trying to help you understand why you should believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I would go to this situation and I would remind you and give you some history here. See, some of us have studied or, or, or some people have studied how long does it take for a myth to develop and become legend? You know, you hear stories all the time and it gets exaggerated and bigger and bigger. And some of those stories, you know, have some truth to them, but they're not necessarily true. So these people who study those types of things have concluded that it takes a minimum of 40 to 60 years before something becomes legend and that people will believe it. Now, the reason it takes so long is that the people who were eyewitnesses of the event have to be what? We got a smart group here. I got to be dead. And see, bear with me. We're going to get into the Bible, but this is just history. It's just history. History tells us that Nero was looking for a group of people to blame for the fires in Rome, and he chose Christians. And there were thousands and thousands of Christians in Rome. And most of them were Roman citizens. The reason he could blame them was because they were there. And this was long before the Bible existed. You know the other thing about that? Within 30 years, there were thousands of Christians, not just in Jerusalem and Judea where everything kind of got started, and not in modern day Israel, but in Rome, which was 1,500 miles away from where Jesus was resurrected. So if you open your mind, if you open your heart and consider becoming a follower of Jesus, I would start with a history lesson of some facts. Of people who were eyewitnesses, people who interviewed and who saw him raised from the dead. You know, the reason we celebrate the resurrection today is because of the implications of it. See, when you fully understand the resurrection and you take to heart the death of Jesus on your behalf, it creates a context for our lives. It impacts every area of your life. It impacts the way you spend your time. It impacts the way that you entertain yourself. It impacts the way that you spend your money. It impacts even the way that you mourn the death of loved ones. But most importantly, it impacts the way you love. So on Easter morning, there was an interaction that we're gonna look at this morning. An interaction between Jesus and one of his followers. 
You know, I thought Sari did a pretty doggone good job singing Alabaster Jar. Couldn't hold back the tears. I'm not afraid to cry in public anyway. But you know, she was talking about Mary Magdalene. She's talking about this woman who lived a sinful life who met Christ and how it overwhelmed her by his acceptance, by his love. And she became one of his followers. Well, this is who we're going to look at this morning. We're going to learn from her. Uh, and so let's bow our heads and let's have prayer. Father, we thank you again for all that you have done. I pray as we look at your word this morning that you help us to not just be convinced. Help us be convicted. And God, I pray that you would allow your word to come to life and that we can see you more clearly, that we can believe what you've said. And Father, that we can ultimately be what you called us to be as followers of Jesus. And if we don't know that, that we want to know, how can I follow this man? We love you and we thank you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So before we get into this, uh, the, the scriptures, and you can turn over to John chapter 20, I want to paint a picture for you this morning and, and give you some context before we jump into John chapter 20. You know, ancient Jews believed that eventually God was going to send a Messiah or a deliverer to Israel to restore the nation of Israel and to restore it to its former glory when David was leading, when, when Solomon was, was, was leading. And so years went by, centuries went by, no Messiah. And then another belief that ancient chosen a man named Abraham. Now, I don't like to push movies, but there's a new one out. Quadre and I went and watched it the other night. About Abraham. And the movie is really well done. But this guy, Abraham. And the promise was, Abraham, I know you're 99 years old, or at the time, 75, and you haven't had kids yet, but I'm making a promise to you that you will become a nation and that your family is going to bless all the nations on earth. So, when you think about that, consider this. Nations in ancient times didn't bless other nations, right? They conquered, they captured, they killed, enslaved, but they didn't bless other nations. You know, even you think in our modern times, you know, nations conquer other nations. Nations use other nations to get what they want and to, you know, uh, take advantage sometimes. And maybe there's some exceptions, but for the most part, they don't bless other nations. So God says to Abraham, your family is going to become 
a nation, and through you, every nation on earth will be blessed. And there's a promise there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. And so ancient Jews have these two ideas in their mind. One day we're going to get a Messiah. One day God's going to use the nation of Israel to impact the rest of the world. So now we come to the first century. And the nation of Israel is under the foot and oppression of Rome. You know, in other words, Rome is the big man on campus. And so from the Jewish perspective at this time, the nation of Rome, of Israel, couldn't even bless themselves. So that promise seemed pretty hopeless. And that God wasn't going to fulfill what he had promised some 4,000 years prior. Then along came a guy named John. John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. And John was a pretty, he was a pretty bad dude. John preached. You know, the Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 5, that people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. You know, have you ever seen these shows where Jesus, it's a movie about Jesus, and they show John the Baptist, and he's out there baptizing, and there's like, you know, maybe 20 or 50 people just kind of hanging over there. Kids are over there, you know, making sandcastles. The Bible says thousands are going out to John. People are thinking this guy could be the Messiah. And John said, I'm not the guy. In fact, he says, I'm not the guy, but I'm preparing you for the guy. And so in John 3, 13, it begins. John's standing in the Jordan River, water up to his knees, and here comes Jesus. Jesus comes to John, and John's like, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's him. And he baptizes Jesus. And Jesus Christ steps onto the pages of history. And the world's never been the same. Jesus begins to preach. He begins to teach. He begins to heal. He begins to say things that frighten people. <laughs> Especially the religious people. He says, hey, religious leaders, you guys are jealous? You're greedy? And you're whitewashed tombs. You're snakes, and you need to repent, because if you don't, you're going to go to hell. Well, thank you very much, Jesus. Uh, that's what he started to do. Now, that ruffled some feathers. But as time went on, that wasn't the, the get, you know, 
That, that, that wasn't a big deal, so to speak. Jesus now starts doing miracles. And in John chapter 11, he does the big one. His friend Lazarus dies, and he goes to the tomb, and he raises him from the dead. And here's what the, the leaders say. You got to hear this. John eleven fifty three. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Wait a minute. He just raised a man from the dead. Why would you want to kill him? Well, Jesus was going to get into their pockets. Jesus was going to convert them, and they were like, no! And so if it couldn't get worse, one of Jesus' best friends betrays him. Then he's condemned at the temple court. And then ultimately he's crucified by the empire and buried by two men who were secret followers that did not associate with him while he was alive. See, in those days when an, inv an individual was crucified and eventually died, they were taken down off the cross and they were put onto a wagon and their bodies were led to a place called Gehenna, which means hell. And they take these bodies and they throw them there and they would burn some of these bodies or they would just let them rot. But the Bible tells us in John 19:38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh, aloes, and about 75 pounds, uh, about 75 burial customs and they put him in the tomb you know on the day that Jesus was crucified and laid in the tomb everybody thought the same thing game over In modern terms, we unfollowed Jesus. There were no followers of Jesus after the crucifixion. And here's why. Jesus said way too much. He said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to God except through me. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. So they thought, well, wait a minute. If that's who you are, you can't die. Nobody was outside the tomb on Easter Sunday, he's going 10, 9, 
eight, seven, six. Here you go. No. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. John chapter 20. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved. Now, you notice John's writing this and, you know, talking about himself there. <laughs> the one Jesus loved. <laughs> and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She's not expecting a resurrection. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb, both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then over and over again. Because here's where it gets funny. Verse 15, woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. <laughs> she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And then this is where it happens. She hears the voice of her Lord. She hears the tone of his voice. And Jesus says, Mary, Mary, Sari. <laughs> Elena, Ray, Tosh. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary, and I imagine she's running. Back to town. Mary went to the disciples with the news. See, now Mary's coming back. She's got a new message. Look at what she says. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke 24 for a second. And I, I, I want to I hold up the, the, the women for a minute, okay? 
You got to realize in the first century, this was a huge deal for a woman to come and give the message to the men. They go to the apostles. And look at what it says in Luke 24, verse 11. And she's telling the apostles, and they say, but these words appear to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. You know, in the Gospels, it tells us that women saw Jesus first. Do you know why it says it that way? Because that's what happened. <laughs> I have seen the Lord. Mary, who was heartbroken just moments ago, is now filled with joy, with conviction. And she's now believing God has come through. Jesus is who he says he was. We can continue to trust. We can overcome death because it's been defeated. Our lives are just getting started. And although nothing in the world had changed, although nothing in her circumstances had changed, everything had changed. In those words, I have seen the Lord. You know, about two weeks ago, everything changed for our newest brother in Christ named Michael Braun. Michael Braun, who's a young man in the middle, worked with our dear sister, sister Lisa Stewart for several years. They worked at the same company. Michael then moved on to another company and Lisa remained friends with Michael. And uh, he came to an edge uh, event that they had and, you know, began to talk and, you know, reach out and, and you know, get to know some of the brothers and sisters. And he, he, he met Rick Soto. And uh, Rick and Michael connected. Uh, they, they had similar uh, stories, similar backgrounds. I know uh, Kenny Lede was a part of that study as well. And, uh, and they connected, and the rest was history. Now, Michael was uh, studied with here and, and relationships, but then moved down to uh, the uh, Monmouth County, which is near the shore, and got baptized in the ministry down there. And so, Mike and I were talking yesterday, and, you know, I want, I want to share a few thoughts that he shared. He said, um, Mike said, I found my purpose here on earth because I found Jesus. He said, I now have peace that I've never had in my life. And he said, Russ, I've been learning how to deal with my issues, and now I'm helping others deal with their issues and helping people in my community deal with their issues. And then he just kind of welled up and he said, I thank God 
for disciples like Lisa Stewart and Rick Soto, who believed that they had seen the resurrected Jesus, that they knew why they were here to help spread this good news about Jesus, who wasn't consumed with their lives, that they didn't take the time to extend an invitation or to remain friends, but to make every effort to do their part in helping a young man find Jesus. And Mike, Mike was so, it, it just, I was like, man, I wish you stayed up here. <laughs> because he was just filled with gratitude. But he had to move down. He's helping his, his dad, who's almost 80. And I said, the Lord's going to bless you for that, man. Love you, pops. You know, but everything changed because Jesus was alive. You know, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. And I want to remind you that Jesus is alive. And that because he lives, we can, come, we can overcome whatever life throws at us. We can fulfill God's purpose and plan for our lives. I want to talk to the fathers here. Part of our plan is we want to lead our families to Christ, right? We want our kids to grow up and develop their own faith in Jesus. We want our marriages to give God glory so that people say, what, you've been married how long? You know, every time I tell people, you know, Sarah and I are gonna celebrate 29 years at the end of this month. I know I don't look at day over 30. No. I'm kidding. But you know, and I appreciate the encouragement, but it would not be possible if I wasn't a disciple. That's a fact, Jack. That's a fact. And I'm not saying that in a, like a bad, I'm just saying the only reason I have hope for my marriage is because of God's word, the relationships that he's put in my life, the Holy Spirit that helps keep it together when I'm thinking it's getting ready to fall apart. You know, here's the thing. Jesus is alive. You know, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, and as I said, you're considering it, thinking about it. Well, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about this. God has an actual plan for your life. And the plan is not to harm you. It's not to hurt you. It's not to take away your fun. I tell my brother all the time, I said, if you hung out with me, you would save money. And you would have a blast. But really, God has an individual, specific plan for every one of us. 
You know, in John chapter 12, verse 24, it says, I tell you, unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. See, we got to remember, because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, there is so much to benefit in this life now. Yes, eternity But now, because of the resurrection, you and I can know that God hears our prayers. The same your heavenly Father values faithfulness, especially when it costs you something. So we're going to land this plane communion in a moment. There's only one thing that we need to remember and one question that we need to ask, and that is, who is Jesus? See, and on Easter, that question, it was answered. He is exactly who he claimed to be. He's Savior. He's Lord. And he's worth your consideration following for the rest of your life. Let's pray together. Let's take communion. And then we'll close out with one last song. Our God in heaven, we thank you again for all that you have done. Thank you so much that we can celebrate the resurrection. That we don't have a God who is dead but that we have a Lord who's alive and who promised us, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Father, as we take communion, help us to take it with a joy, with an excitement, but God, help us be convicted that we are here for a reason and it's not just for ourselves. Although we need to enjoy our lives, but God, we need to remember that you've put us where we are for specific reasons that we can serve and praise you and help others get to know you. God, I thank you again for Jesus's sacrifice. I thank you for his love for us and his willingness to give up himself so that we can have a relationship with you. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all this in your son, Jesus name. Amen.